0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. Talking Ball with Pat Leonard here. I am the New York Daily News' NFL columnist and Giants beat writer, fresh off the plane pretty much from Mobile, Alabama, where I attended the Senior Bowl and everything surrounding it. The restaurants, the late-night bars, the early morning interviews, and the afternoon practices – Had a lot coming out of there I wanted to share with you. I wanted to dedicate this podcast specifically to mostly a preview of the Super Bowl week and getting into what we can learn from the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles when constructing a roster for next season in 2023, not just for the Giants, but for all NFL teams in general. It is a copycat league, and there's a reason for that because as the league evolves, when teams succeed... Everybody wants to take a closer look at the research behind why did they get there, why did they win, why did they come out of the NFC and AFC, and is there something we can replicate in our own organization? Before that, I want to share with you some insights from Mobile. It's a great opportunity to go down there at the University of South Alabama and see these players up close and personal. Now, I'm not Dave Gettleman making a judgment off of uh, three drives or three practices that a player had, but there are guys who stood out to me um, when I look at different positions, especially where the Giants were looking, who I'm going to keep an eye on throughout the offseason. And I wanted to share with you, and this isn't just for the Giants. You know, a showcase like this, when a guy stands out, obviously on the draft board, the Giants have nine picks, but Every team seeing the same thing. They'll come to different evaluations. They get to meet all these guys in person. But, um, you know, if a guy's stock rises at one of these showcases, sometimes teams pound the table in disgust because they might already have a great idea or high opinion of a player. And they'll be hoping, say, that he drops to the fourth or fifth round. And if he has a great senior bowl and a good combine, he could elevate himself into the third. And now he's out of the value that the team had him graded, and you can't get him. So, uh, that can be a catch-22, but here are some names I wanted you to keep an eye on as we go through the process here. At wide receiver, where Joe Shane, the Giants general manager, was spending a lot of time uh, at the first practice down there, standing close and watching them snap to snap, I thought Andre Yosivas from Princeton was a huge winner for this week. Now Shane shared with us in an on-the-record interview on Wednesday um, in downtown Mobile that he found out about Yusivas first when Zeke Sandhu, Odell Beckham Jr.'s agent who was recruiting Yusivas at the time, showed Shane a clip of the Princeton receiver on YouTube uh, in the cafeteria at the Giants facility when Odell Beckham Jr. was making his free agent visits to all these different teams. So he's had an eye on him. Shane thought he's a good player, big kid, makes a lot of uh, contested catches, has good hands. And so I think that's a guy who I'm looking to Possibly rise into the you know late third area. The Giants have two late third round picks. If his stock rises to that level, will their wide receiver search take them there, um, or even in the fourth round? Uh, Luke Musgrave from Ohio State, the tight end. Now, when you talk to scouts and people around the league during the week, they felt that if you're looking for a pass catcher at the Senior Bowl this year, a stud, a guy who has the highest ceiling. He was the name who kept coming back. Now, he only played two games last year for the Beavers due to injury, but you can see why people are so uh, incur- or intrigued by him as a prospect. He's he's tall, he's big, he's mobile. Uh, I will say that in a couple one-on-ones with linebackers, he wasn't exactly dusting guys, but he also was making people look silly at times on his routes as well. Uh, looks like more like a receiver than a blocker. You know, when I compare him to, let's say, Daniel Bellinger, who the Giants drafted out of San Diego State, he runs better than Bellinger and he's more of a receiver type, but he's not as strong or obviously, uh, let's say, put together as a blocker as Bellinger. Now he can block, but I'm just saying when you profile him physically, that's kind of where where he comes back. But no doubt Musgrave is going to be a name to look at for high up in the draft. I mean, he's six foot five, 255 pounds. So very interesting prospect there, and of course, as we know now, when you go for a top receiver, you don't just need a, t- a wide receiver; it could be a tight end. Look at Travis Kelsey with the Chiefs, um, and I actually wrote an in-depth story about the Giants' search for a top receiver or pass target, especially if they're going to sign Daniel Jones to a long-term deal. I wrote that story on the New York Daily News's website, so please go check that out. Another receiver, Xavier Hutchinson from Iowa State. It's so funny how these guys. You know, they're kind of under the radar, so to speak, when people aren't talking about a player as like a top five, top 10 guy. Uh, but he led the Big 12 in receptions three straight years, including 107 this past season. That was a school record. No player had ever had even 100 catches for the Cyclones. So um, Hutchinson, just like you see this when I talk to him, really respectful, humble, but confident and just a really sharp route runner. Like I thought out there, he was giving corners a lot of trouble. And he actually said to me, he thought he was rusty and could have done better because he hasn't played football in a while. So always room for improvement. You know, the Giants always say smart, tough, dependable, the players they're looking for, um, for example, here in New York. And I looked at him as I was interviewing him and then out on the field. And he strikes me as a guy who has talent and also has the demeanor and makeup that a team like the Giants... Would be looking for. Moving over to corner, another premium position. Julius Brent from Kansas State. This kid is not going to last on the draft board long. I mean, he looks like he will just blacken out the sky when a pass is coming in your direction. He is so long, so much length, so much height. Uh, let me get to his exact measurements here. He is six foot three, 202, but an incredible wingspan. And also good enough in coverage where it didn't it didn't look to me when I was watching him like he just relies on his size. You know, it wasn't lazy with his footwork. Um, you know, I'm not an NFL scout, but I watch enough football where I can look at a guy and say, okay, I see the body types that teams really love. Um, you know, guys like James Bradbury, Sauce Gardner, th- these players who can run and whose length and instincts give them a leg up on the receivers that they are guarding – um, on a down to down basis. And Julius Brent strikes me as a player who you're going to start hearing his name a lot more. And by April, you're going to get sick of it. And you're going to say, why didn't I hear about him more in January or in December? Well, you're hearing about him now. Um, Big 12 corner. Interesting. Tyreek Stevenson from Miami. So Hutchinson told me that he thought Stevenson, just from their first practice, uh, from from the Hurricanes was the most challenging corner to go against. He said he was really physical right off the line. And he was giving receivers some problems getting into their routes in the first place. And I think coming out of the senior bowl, now again, this is just seniors, but coming out of the senior bowl, he was a player that everybody going in thought was going to be one of the top players. And everybody coming out is going to feel that way as well at a position where every team always has a need, some more than others. Um, and then Riley Moss, uh, from Iowa. Uh, Caucasian cornerback from the Hawkeyes, uh, but you know, impressed teams with his competitiveness, his skill level, and um, in some of the interviews. So uh, a player to watch there. And then two at random positions who just stood out to me right off the bat, uh, DeMarvian Overshawn from Texas, linebacker. Boy, this kid, I mean, he looks like he could run forever He's looked like the maybe the most athletic person on the field on either side of the ball, and you could see him being used as a rusher out in coverage, uh, a player whose versatility would give a a coach like Wink Martindale, but any defensive coach, uh, the luxury of being able to use him as a Swiss army knife in a lot of different ways. I think of him as you know, a player who, if you had that NASCAR package, like you could have him on the field and then just by realigning your personnel and not necessarily substituting, you could get three pass rushers down on the line or four quickly um, and more easily with a guy like Overshawn on the field who can also drop and looks like he can run side to side as well. be interested to see how, again, another big, big 12 player, be interested to see how People think he fits in different defensive schemes as we get into the combine and the conversation ramps up, and then how um, you know his his strength will translate and his instincts will translate to the NFL game. But really, looks to me like he looks the part. And then another player who looks the part, no doubt about it, uh, DeWan Jones, the right tackle from Ohio State. I believe after the first practice, he did not practice the second day. Um, there was an injury question there. Uh, but you know you look at him from two hundred yards away, and he stands out more than anybody else. One of those players who he's so large that when you see how um fit and athletic his lower body is, it almost makes no sense you know you you just haven't seen a human like that before um Evan Neal, the giant's right tackle is one of those guys who such a physical specimen you feel like. I'm probably never going to meet anybody like this again. But Neil is big all the way down. Like, if you saw him walking down the street and you only saw his lower leg, you would know you were about to see a guy who looks like he's seven feet tall. But Jones almost looks like a basketball player on his lower body and then like a complete monster uh, left or right tackle up top. So, a fascinating player there. Um, if he's healthy, I think, you know, obviously, Paris Johnson, the left tackle from the Buckeyes, getting a ton of attention as well. But um, Ohio State's going to have a lot of players drafted for good reason, and this is a kid to watch as well. I think Antoine Staley from the Daily News had mentioned that he would be a great fit for the Jets and somebody they're keeping an eye on. And now, want to tell you guys all about as always, Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and more. You'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at BetOnline with live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable. BetOnline is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use promo code BELIEVE. that's all caps B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. BetOnline where the game starts. And before I get into the Chiefs and Eagles, I want to tell you a little bit about some of the information I gleaned from that um, on the record interview we had with Joe Shane down in Mobile, Alabama, and some of my takeaways or my analysis from the the limited general amount of things that Shane did say. And what I would say is there's three main takeaways I have on the Giants right now. Now you can go to the Daily News website and I have been unloading information, numbers, uh, contract, negotiation, um, analyses, and there will be more coming in the Sunday Daily News tidbits that I gathered throughout the week uh, talking to sources in the league. But I wanted to head on hit on three headers, Re- Giants related coming out of the Senior Bowl. Number one. Daniel Jones. Negotiations haven't started yet. Um, Joe Shane's overriding message, it felt like, was, listen, yes, we have some cap space, but regarding Saquon Barkley, regarding Daniel Jones, regarding all of these free agents, he wants to be able to continue to build the team. He's so realistic about what their whole roster looks like and what it needs, that any major commitment to a player at a salary level that is higher than the way the Giants have valued that player and they value him within that position and the structure of their roster makeup that will take away from the ability to upgrade inside linebacker, defensive line, corner, uh, maybe reinforcing safety, uh, running back, whatever you want to say the commitments to Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley. Clearly the negotiations will come down to trying to reward the player but also doing it in the context of, we want something left over to continue to build. Now, where that comes in is the franchise tag is a key element. In the Daniel Jones negotiations, having to tag Daniel Jones at $32.5 million about would really rob the Giants of a lot of flexibility. So The Giants want to get a long-term deal with Daniel Jones done is what it feels like based on how much it would benefit what they could do with the contract they could restructure and lower that salary cap hit in the first year of a deal, and then that would help them upgrade other other areas. We don't know yet what Daniel Jones's agent's first starting number is going to be. Shane said the Giants actually were still figuring out theirs. It had the feel of a negotiation that I think is going to, um, you know, I think Giants fans saw us reporting this down in Mobile that it hadn't started yet, and felt like that was a bad sign. I don't view it that way. I think that these negotiations are going to start in good faith. Uh, The question is just how far is the initial number? So We don't know their numbers, but hypothetically, if Daniel Jones' camp wants wants 40 and Joe Shane is looking more like, well, no, let's give you a five-year commitment, but let's make the number something closer to that franchise tag number, like 33 a year. And then we can lower the first year cap, like 40 and 33, that would be a dramatic difference, right? Now, there's an obvious middle ground. Of course, my sources, especially one particular ex-GM had told me a couple of weeks ago that 35 to 38 million a year is probably the range that Daniel Jones's contract ends up in. So that that's the middle ground for that negotiation. The question is whether does Jones just rest on playing on that franchise tag if the gap exists between the two sides right off the bat. I'm not particularly worried at this juncture about Daniel Jones. Um, I think that that Jones will understand that continuity in a system, in an offense with a coaching staff that got the most out of him is a good thing for him. And so I'm not saying that means he's going to give the Giants a gigantic discount. I just believe that while he will deserve a payday – I think that the middle ground makes sense to both sides and will be a sensible uh you know finishing spot for them to arrive at. So I'm not as worried about that one. Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is an interesting one because now we know that at the bye week when the Giants negotiated, as I dropped my cell phone, you know, maybe that was somebody calling with some news. Who knows? Saquon Barkley turned down a contract, a multi year contract offer at 12 to 12 and a half million a year at the bye week. And when you're turning down a deal like that, you're looking at the only thing higher are the only two contracts higher for running backs average per year are Christian McCaffrey at 16 and Alvin Kamara in the 14 range. And then there's a bunch of running backs in the 12 area, you know, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook. Uh, Joe Mixon, Derrick Henry, etc. cetera. The running back tag, while it could help Daniel Jones with leverage, it would hurt Saquon Barkley here because the running back tag is only a 10 million range. And if the Giants already had 12 million turned down and Barkley's looking for 14, 15, 16 million a year, think of the gap between that number that Barkley's asking for and the 10 million of the tag. You can see why the Giants arrived at that middle ground in the 12, 12 and a half million. And it brings up a an interesting question of does Barkley really think the Giants are going to come anywhere near the number that he was asking for at the bye week I'm just sitting here telling you right now, I think that there's a chance the Giants offer at the bye week, bye week was their best. Uh, that the most that they're going to do, you know, that wouldn't surprise me. And looking at the roster composition that, the Buffalo Bills have where Joe Shane came from, and looking at what the Giants are trying to build now, uh, the fact that they're looking to pay Daniel Jones as a long term answer at quarterback. You know, I think they need resources to build up the team, but also the offense. And particularly, even though there were some really good performances this year, guys who stepped up, Richie James, Darius Slayton, Isaiah Hodgins, et cetera, they need to to invest more at wide receiver. And so, if they're putting a ton of eggs in the in the bucket of Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley, how much is left to upgrade the pass catchers? And so, I think, frankly, Joe Shane's approach to the Saquon Barkley negotiations so far has been sound. And I think that if Saquon Barkley's position doesn't change, it wouldn't be crazy um, f- to envision him in a different uniform at some point. You know, the Giants could tag him if they pay Daniel long term and then have him under control. But we don't know the answer to whether would Saquon Barkley be willing to play on a tag or would he hold out. And then remember, if you tag a player, that doesn't lock you into employing him. You can still up to I believe mid July trade that player who is on the tag, you know, a tag and trade. Uh, So we don't know where that's going to go. As of this taping, we're a few days away probably from Shane and Saquon Barkley's representatives doubling back and having another conversation. But contrary to the Daniel Jones situation where they didn't negotiate at the bye week, they didn't pick up the fifth year option in the spring, they're still waiting to start. These Saquon Barkley negotiations have now happened twice in the fall at the bye week. And Shane revealed they had spoken uh, right at the start of the senior bowl week as well. And we're still what we're talking about right now. So that has the feeling of a of a negotiation that isn't going to make meaningful movement anytime soon, but we can't predict the future. This is just where we see it right now. And then finally, uh, this was not something that came out of the Joe Shane interview, but just some Giants news that came out of the week that I was able to dig up is as the Indianapolis Colts uh, near completion of their second round. And according to NFL Network, they are considering a third round of NFL interviews for their head coaching vacancy. I am told that Wink Martindale, the Giants defensive coordinator, is among the front runners for the job. And the Giants obviously don't want to lose Wink, but he's an excellent coach who's wanted a head coaching opportunity for a long time. And we will see where this goes because I think these open positions, you know, the Cardinals and the Colts. You want to wrap up these processes. You want to be thorough, but you want to wrap them up in time to give your – if it's a new GM or a new head coach or both, you want to give them time to get their offseason rolling because we're already here, senior bowl. We're already in the thick of it. The combine's going to be right around the corner once the Super Bowl ends. Um, you know, you're know, you going to get into free agency. You need to create that plan. So I think the Colts Wink, – Wink is definitely a front runner for the job. As round two comes to an end, the question is how much longer are the Colts going to take here? If they say, "Okay, Wink and uh, you three other guys," you know, we're going to narrow our our uh, interview process from our eight or nine second rounders to four or five or three third rounders, and then we're going to stagger those interviews through the next week, and then after the Super Bowl, we're going to cut. You know, if it's taking that long. I don't know, frankly, talking to people in the league, how that's going to affect the candidate pool because you have maybe some other guys interviewing for other jobs and taking other jobs possibly. Um, A guy like Martindale as well with the Giants is knee deep down in Mobile at the Senior Bowl, helping them scout players and interview players for his defense and for the Giants team. And the Giants have, have to create and move forward with their own plans as well. So will the Giants step up to protect... Martindale uh, with the Colts having so much interest? Will the Colts hire Wink, which I think is possible? Uh, will the fact that this process drags on more and more um, lead to candidates uh, no longer being candidates? Or um, you know, will it negatively, negatively impact Jim Ursay's candidate pool, even though he clearly thinks that the longer it takes, the more thorough it looks? And will they just Do all of this for show and hire Jeff Saturday. That's always a question. But no, I I would not be reporting. um, This is just to be serious. I wouldn't be reporting that Wink Martindale was a front runner for the job if there wasn't a significant possibility he could get it. Um, But we will see where that goes. And now step over to the Super Bowl. And just so you guys know, we're about, you know, 23 minutes into this we're going to run a few more minutes here and you know trying trying something new here at uh, Talking Ball where we've been doing one episode a week and I think what I'm going to try to do is break it up into two episodes let's say a week where maybe I do one 20 to 30 minute episode at the start of a week and you know, I give you maybe immediate takeaways from the previous weekend. We go over some key storylines. I give you some news and some tidbits. And then we come back later in the week, hopefully with a second episode, that's 20 or 30 minutes where we have our guests. So it ends up being the same format, but maybe break it up a little bit. So we have a little bit more content spread out throughout the week. And then also, um, you know, can bring you the, the betting lines, we can bring you our special guests and we can bring you our analysis and we can do it at different parts of the week. Um, you know, so we can stay engaged with you here on believe. Um, but before, before we get to, uh, any further, any the, any further than that, I want to tell you about the giants and the, 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 the giants, the Eagles and the chiefs and why, what we can learn from these two teams. Five lessons. Here they are. Five lessons that you can learn from the Eagles and the Chiefs. If you're another NFL GM, if you're another NFL head coach, if you're looking at these teams and saying, how can I get there? How can I be next? This is what the Eagles and the Chiefs have done so well that teams can replicate. Number one is never get complacent at quarterback. It's easy to forget now because Mahomes is so great and Jalen Hurts is playing at such a high level. It's easy to forget the criticisms levied against these franchises for the decisions they were making or just just the questions and curiosities, even if it wasn't criticism. But Alex Smith was playing at an extremely high level for Kansas City when Andy Reid and Brett Veach traded up all the way to number 10 overall to take Patrick Mahomes in 2017. And then Carson Wentz, you know, they had just paid him. They had just given him a four-year, $128 million extension in uh you know, prior, I think it was in 2019. And then in 2020, Howie Roseman drafts Jalen Hurts, 53rd overall in the second round. The message is this if you're another team's general manager, if you have a good quarterback, you should still be searching for a great quarterback. That's the message. And, you know, a team like the Giants can learn from that. They like Daniel Jones. They want to commit to Daniel Jones. But if a player does not prove to you year in and year out, that he can take, can, that he can ascend to that great level, with the Joe Burrows and the, um, you know, uh, Patrick Mahomes and where Jalen Hurts is this year, and that other players have the potential to get to, you know, the Josh Allen's, the Justin Herberts, etc. If your quarterback isn't that, you should always be searching. So you should always be reevaluating. So you have some teams like the New York Jets who are desperate for a quarterback and know that they need a, just a good one. They don't even have a good one. But then you have a team like the Giants who has a good one, but that doesn't mean you don't continue to evaluate Daniel Jones, even if you pay him, because as the Chiefs and the Eagles have shown, good is good. Great is what gets you here and what wins you Super Bowls, championships, divisions, conferences. So that's number one. Number two is it starts and finishes with the lines. Upgrade and reinforce your offensive and defensive lines. The Eagles are here because their offensive and defensive lines are both arguably the best in football. Um, And they've done it in different ways. I mean, you know, they drafted Landon Dickerson. They drafted Jason Kelsey way back when. uh, They drafted Lane Johnson. uh, They drafted Isaac Semelau. They um, drafted Jordan Mylata, And think about Milata, how unique of a situation that is. I mean, you know, you had the Giants with Roy Embedica signing him in the International Development Program. Everybody's now trying to replicate what Howie Roseman and the Eagles did there, but will they be able to? That's another question. But all five starting offensive linemen for the Eagles being draft picks is really something else. And then think about this. The Eagles' pass rush was already strong going into this year. They already had good players. They already had established players, Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham, um, but the fact that they not only went and signed Hass- Hassan Redick in free agency, then they draft Jordan Davis out of Georgia on the interior. But then the fact that mid-season, Howie Roseman continued to dump assets into that space with Linval Joseph, with Kong Su, with uh, the trade for Robert Quinn. And that that one hasn't yielded the kind of results you want yet so far, but the point is, and this. Think about it with the quarterback position and now with the defensive line. Seems like a theme with the Eagles and Howie Roseman is don't just rest on your laurels that a position on your roster just because it's a strength is something that you don't have to attend to. If you reinforce that strength and double down on it, maybe that's a better strategy than going and trying to fill other holes and assuming that you're okay. And I know the Giants in previous years under Dave Gettleman especially they were the kind of team that would over one of their players. And let's just, you know, I'm not saying physically do this, but literally, like in their mind, they might say, well, we're okay at left guard or we're okay at inside linebacker or we don't need another corner of safety or whatever it is. And you can't think like that, especially when you're a team that is also over evaluating your players. All you're doing is eliminating options and opportunities. Um, And so the Eagles have good thinking, strong thinking, strong leadership there. And then, you know, for the Chiefs, I mean, they have a lot of rookies playing on defense in the secondary included. Uh, You know, they drafted George Karloftis in the first round out of Purdue to help their pass rush, where Frank Clark and Carlos Dunlap have been uh, free agent ads that have helped them in the last couple of years. And, you know, the biggest thing with them, this is another frustration you talk about if you're a Giants fan, is oh, how are we going to get the offensive line right? It's not going to happen overnight. So frustrating if you're a, a you know a, a fan of an NFL team that has struggled to rebuild its line, and you watch the Kansas City Chiefs, uh, two, not this year, but last year, they revamped their whole offensive line in one offseason. Obviously, Mahomes' mobility and ability to play out of structure and maneuver, that helps an offensive line. So it's not like they're perfect, but the fact that they were able to do, you know, drafting Creed Humphrey and Trey Smith, uh, signing Orlando or, or trading for Orlando Brown, signing Joe Tooney, their ability to revamp, reload, and go is there's no question that that is the reason they are back in the Super Bowl. Because if they weren't able to do that, with all of Mahomes' greatness, losing Tyree Kill, with all of Kelsey's great, greatness, you just can't win if you can't run the ball and protect your quarterback. Um, and so. That's a huge lesson to draw there, um, and I think you know this isn't one of my numbered lessons that I thought of. But Steve Steve Spagnuolo as the defensive coordinator and Andy Reid as the coach, they're just a terrific coaching staff. They're veterans. They know how to win a game. They know how to coach a specific game. And yes, they're going to be who they are. And they're not perfect. Reid with his his management, Spags obviously. You know. Kind of that he's looking for a negative play and willing to make them snap the ball again in order to get there. It has those creative pressures. Um, so, but even with if they're let's say predictable based on precedent and you can study film and know kind of what's coming, they treat each game differently. They're very smart. Uh, they are humble enough to not think they know everything. And you know, in the Eagles staff too, I think credit goes to Nick Sirianni, Jonathan Gannon, and Shane Steichen. Um, especially like when you watch their blowout of the Giants in the divisional round of the playoffs, what stuck out to me was having watched the Minnesota game and then watched the Eagles game. I know the Eagles have a better roster than the Vikings. I know that it's not, you know, I'm not questioning that, but the Eagles literally attacked all of the areas where the Giants were worst or where there was the biggest gap between the Eagles and the Giants. Like it was really smart game planning. Kevin O'Connell with the Vikings is throwing the ball in third and short. The Eagles are running the ball until the Giants can stop it and they can't. And you know, it's just one example, but um, you know, that is a smart coaching staff. The roster is fantastic. But that's that coaching staff has done a really good job as well. Number three is find a go-to receiver. Travis Kelsey with the Chiefs. Um, the Eagles, of course, had Devontae Smith. They pants the Giants in the draft to get him. But then even with Smith and even with Hurts playing well, they are smart enough and opportunistic enough, done their homework enough to then go and pounce on that AJ Brown trade, which really I think is, um, has emerged. And I think people knew at the time it might be, but really has emerged as possibly the trade of the year. Um, You know, and so um, the giants, as we've talked about are looking for their own stud at wide receiver. um, But you know, the Justin Jeffersons, the Devonte Adams, the Tyree kills. These guys are few and far between. So just saying go get one's not that easy, especially when a draft like this year is not loaded with guys who are just obvious plug and play stars. Um, you know, I don't think like Jamar Chase is in this draft, for example. But um, definitely something. Even though teams can win without star number one receivers, but you need somebody. You need at least one pass catcher who not only forces the defense to game plan for them, but also allows your supporting cast players and receivers to then be who they are instead of asking them to do more than is fair based on either their skill level or uh, what they've been able to do in the past. Because you want to keep people healthy and you want to put them in the right spots. Number four is be careful about paying your running backs. Why pay a running back when the Chiefs, so the Chiefs, Isaiah Pacheco, Jarek McKinnon, and the Eagles, Miles Sanders and Kenny Gainwell. All together, those four running backs, their cap cost this year for those two teams combined is $4.3 million. And as we talked about, Saquon Barkley turned down $12 to $12.5 million a year in the fall. The way the Giants are trying to build, the way that the NFL is now as far as teams winning mostly through the pass and mobile quarterbacks, and mobile quarterbacks, Um, running game actually did come back a little bit this year. Uh, the teams with, uh, quarterback running abilities and stronger offensive lines were able to take advantage of these smaller defenses. So it's not just the passing league, but I think we've seen enough evidence. And I think this is an old argument by now, but you look at the Eagles running game because of what Hurts gives you with his legs and his arm, and then because of their strength of their offensive line, their running backs are all still talented. It's not like these, these aren't bad players; these are very good players. Sanders, Gainwell, Boston Scott, but they can create a running game around players that aren't on mega contracts. Pacheco, you know, out of Rutgers, a guy no one paid attention to in last year's draft. Uh, look at what this guy does; he runs like every play is his last. Um, you know, good coaching of course, but again, rebuild offensive line and Jarek McKinnon used situationally used as a pass catcher used in the red zone. You can have a talented player on a reasonable contract who plays a significant role for you at that position. So should the giants pay Barkley? You can answer that for yourself, but I think that that is a good example of why it seems like Joe Shane and the giants have a different position than Barkley's people and then finally know who you are um you know you look look around the league who knew who they were this season i think the eagles knew who they were i think the chiefs knew who they were and that means let's say you see a trade that could help your team but well if i'm if i'm mortgaging assets if i'm mortgaging assets right now for this player can i win right now is that the right thing to do or is my team still in some sort of building mode you know Acquisitions are great. Improving your roster is great. But you need to understand where's the window? Uh, is it time to go for it or is it time to sit back? And then, even in the Eagles' case, even while they've been going for it, they've still been smartly reinforcing depth on the cheap or getting assets back in return. The way Howie Roseman acquired that New Orleans Saints first round pick. So now the Eagles are, I think it's their 10th overall pick that they own from New Orleans. Uh, Going back to last year's draft when they had three first and only used one, you know, that is just smart management. But, um, you know, the Dallas Cowboys um, is a team that I think struggles, kind of sits on the fence a little bit of who are we, has expectations that they are going to win it all when maybe the team's not there yet. Um, You know, I think... The New Orleans Saints are a good example of a team that going into this year thought they were still there and were not. And really, if we're being honest, if you really looked at where their team was going into this season, nobody should have thought that they were a team that could win. Um, and I think sometimes when a team especially like the Saints is used to a lot of success and sustained success under Drew Brees, Sean Payton, et cetera, and Mickey Loomis is a very good GM, but you can't look at a team that is in rebuild mode and invest more assets in the here now short term. Sometimes, frankly, it happens in, on teams because people are trying to protect their own jobs. And that's an interesting dynamic of it. Coaches and GMs have never had less of a leash to, do, to win. And you look at Houston firing two coaches in a row after one year. These owners are impatient, increasingly so, and they're okay now with, or a lot of them anyway, with firing a guy one or two years into a five-year contract and still paying him millions of dollars when they bring in the next guy because they want to fill the seats, they want to make those um, those gates up, they want the the sponsors to be happy, they want to build a new stadium, whatever it is, and so sometimes self-preservation comes into play with GMs and coaches knowing that if they don't win now. It's going to cost them their job when really the right thing to do organizationally is to build for the long-term. you know. So that's where the Giants were caught in between as well lately. And that's the, why it's so important now that Joe Shane keeps ownership in the organization on the path of just because we made the playoffs this year does not mean that we should go from nine wins to 12 next year and be in the NFC Championship game. That is not the only marker of progress. But knowing who you are and then being able to – convince your organization and your ownership of who you are as a team is a lesson I think that we can take from Brett Veach and, and, um, Howie Roseman with the Chiefs and the Eagles and Veach, frankly, what he knows is he has Patrick Mahomes. And so as Joe Burrow said in Cincinnati, my window is every year I'm in the league to go and win a Super Bowl. Sometimes it's rare, but sometimes when you're in a position like the Chiefs and Brett Veach are with Patrick Mahomes, uh, you know, when's my window my window's right now it's next year it's the year after that so that's a luxury most people don't have uh, but you know we're going to wrap up there we will come back next week uh, approaching the super bowl we will preview the super bowl we will canvas the league's quarterback situation with with guys like Aaron Rodgers Derek Carr after Tom Brady's retirement second retirement Um, and we will go over where we think all those guys are going to land. We will get into a deeper preview of the Eagles and Chiefs, and then I will be headed out to Arizona to cover my second straight and second-ever Super Bowl Eagles-Chiefs. Obviously, Rams-Bengals was a thrill last year in Los Angeles, so I'm excited to go out to Phoenix and cover the game in Glendale on Super Bowl Sunday. I will be on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, everything, bringing you um, content – from the desert as always. Um, Please rate, review, subscribe our podcast here as always. I really appreciate everybody's support. We've had a great start to 2023. We're going to keep it rolling here on the Believe Network on Talking Ball with Pat Leonard. So thank you so much for listening as always, and we'll see you next time